This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. All right, well, I think we'll get started. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Hannah Wright. Welcome to All Together Now Audio Drama with Ensemble Cast. Please come in. Uh, thank you. If this is the first panel of your podcast movement, we are so glad you decided to join us. And if you wandered in here by accident, don't worry, that's how most of us get into audio drama. Uh, I'm really excited to introduce you to our panelists. I'm sorry about my plosives. Can you tell I'm a writer, not an actor? Um, but uh, yeah, no, please, uh, as we go along, uh, from starting nearest to me, if you could say your name, your pronouns, and uh, the nature of the ensembles that you work with. Uh, my name is A.R. Olivieri. You can just call me Anthony. Uh, I use they, them pronouns, and I make microfiction shows, so my ensembles all work together, but they don't always work together in the same episode, so that is kind of the nature of my ensemble, and the largest ensemble cast I think I've worked with up until this point is 10 people. Hi, uh, my name is Jordan Cobb. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I tend to write a lot of sci-fi and horror uh, th action thriller stories, so a lot of my ensembles are basically heist teams um, and uh, the sort of uh, Ocean's Eleven kinds of groups that you all stick together. Everybody's got the one thing that they do and then they all go on the adventure together. Hello, my name is Allie Hilton, uh, they, she pronouns. Uh, my ensembles are generally around six, seven people, sometimes 38. Um, <laughs> it's a whole thing. Um, and I write uh, mainly horror, um, so it's a lot of people just trying to do their best in a situation that really sucks. Hello, I'm Tal Manier. I use they, them pronouns, and the nature of my ensemble is kind of all of them. Um, I make three shows. One is an anthology, so every episode is different. One of them, we've got a group of people having a time, and one of them is a lighthearted fantasy show with one main character that meets new people every episode. So, all of them. <laughs> Well, let's start out with, I think, an important question for an ensemble. How do you differentiate so many characters? So something I do is I think about the character dynamics. Um, how are you going to write a character? How are they going to interact with each other? So like in Human Error, there's two characters, Gus and Jace. Gus is very lovable, dad friend, the calm, collected one. And then Jace is there to cause problems on purpose. And the two of them balance each other out really well. Um, and another thing you can do is cast actors with different accents. Get actors from all over the world, and that's also another great way to tell the difference between your characters. I kind of want to jump off of that. Casting, I think, is a really important part of having an ensemble that sounds different and feels different. If you have two people that sound kind of the same, you probably shouldn't cast them playing different people because the listener is going to be like, huh, there's this one person that just like is different all the time, I don't get it. Um, so I would suggest casting your ensemble at the same time and creating a balanced group of voices that play off of each other. 
I find that the more fleshed out each individual character is, the uh, easier it is to identify them within an ensemble. Uh, what I tend to do is, uh, as I said in my introduction, give each character one key defining trait. Um, so for example, in Primordial Deep, uh, we have our, uh, there's the character of Spinner, who is sort of the he, he, big game hunter kind of character, asshole, but lovable asshole, versus someone who's like Maddie, who is the engineer, and so she's very technical about all the things that she's doing. Um, and her style of being very lovable is very, very open, bright, sunshiny, looking out into the world and seeing nothing but wonder. Um, so the more you know who each individual character is when they're standing by themselves, the easier it's going to be not only for your actors, but also for your audience to be able to identify each of them and where they fit into the story you're trying to tell. Uh, so with microfiction, I don't have a lot of time to tell a story. So normally what I do is I focus each episode on a single character or at most a single character with a complement. So a lot of the times when I'm defining my ensemble, it's more about how this character can complement the main character and push their story forward. Uh, it's a lot of finding like archetypes for characters. You know, like if the main character is good at XYZ and I wanna challenge them, then I create a character who hates XYZ or, you know, is better or so, you know, something that will create a conflict with that main character. Uh, for those of you who don't know, microfiction we're defining here as a story that is told with episodes 10 minutes or less. Uh, most of uh, Anthony's episodes are five minutes or less. Uh, they're very skilled. Uh, here's a question mostly for Tal. Uh, when you have one main character interacting with a new set of characters every episode, uh, how do you keep things from being formulaic? Or is being formulaic a strength? I feel like for uh, side questing, being formulaic is kind of a strength because the promise of side questing is that everything's going to end well and it's just a comfort show. So that sort of plays into our main character, Ryan, is going to meet someone and they're going to have a silly, lighthearted problem that will be solved. But then every episode we mix up who that person and what that problem is. Um, so I think being formulaic in that instance is really a strength. And if I ever start getting bored, I'll mix it up and that'll be fun too. <laughs> uh, Jordan, Tal, and Allie, all three of you have made shows where you have multiple main characters, uh, two or five or six. Uh, how do you make sure that you balance each character having enough, for lack of a better term, screen time or, or time within the story uh, to make things balanced and make sure every character has, has enough of the story? So something I do is I will break it up by different plots. So Dying in the Void, 38 actors in season three right now, and a lot of them are recurring or main ensemble. So I'll do A plot, B plot, C plot. And either in one episode, it'll go back and forth between the two plots and they'll be in smaller groups. Or even it'll go every other episode. So you have A plot is every odd number and B and C are together because they're even smaller, and those are every even number. So breaking them up into smaller groups and breaking those groups up into different plot lines, I think, helps a lot. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's Plotting is absolutely going to be one of your best friends when you're working with a, an ensemble, whether it's a small one or a large one. Uh, I tend to find that conflict is a really good way to help different characters shine through at different times. So if you're finding different conflicts that uh, will challenge very specific characters or bring new things out about characters that you hadn't previously explored or seen, uh, that's going to help highlight uh, as much of your ensemble as possible in, in different moments. I took a very basic approach with my five character ensemble and gave each of them a monologue in every episode. <laughs> it worked out really well. So here's a question for A.R. Jordan and Tal. Uh, you've all played main characters in your shows. What are the benefits of that and what are the drawbacks? I can certainly speak to this one. Um, so, If I recall, you've played multiple main characters in the same show. Yes. <laughs> um, so for me, audio drama, um, I my original background is in acting, and so I came to audio drama um, through an acting lens and just wanting to be able to create stories where I could not only showcase m what I'm capable of, but also what my friends are capable of. Um, in shows like Giannis Descending, I play one of the two main characters. Anthony plays the other one. Um, uh, my character's name is Chell. When it comes to moments of uh, high tension, let's say. Giannis Descending is a, a horror show, for those of you who are not familiar with it. Um, it can be one thing to put a character on the page through pure emotional and physical trauma. It is quite another to then have to step into that space and inhabit the character's mindset. So when you are writing things of that nature, do remember to be kind uh, to your actors. I can, I can, you know, abuse myself like that. I'm not going to do that no. to other characters. Um, I also ran into- Are you into sure about that? <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I abused Anthony lightly in this, in this show, mostly because I knew Anthony would put up with it. Um, but there's also moments where you, d you end up discovering new things about yourself, either as a writer or as an actor, when you're lifting these words off of the page. I had a moment in Primordial Deep, um, there's a character who's having a conversation about grief and has you know, a bit of a breakdown about it. Um, and I was realizing how I personally process grief in ways that I had initially written for someone else and then realized I put too much of myself in that particular monologue to be able to direct it well for someone else. Um, and so it, it, sh it, it shifts um, what the characters become when you're writing for yourself versus when you're writing for other people. I'll be honest, I, I wrote for myself because I, I didn't know how to cast an actor. I, I, didn't, I didn't think I, I would ever cast an actor. Um, the first show I made, I didn't even know would 
be published, right? Like I was recording it and I didn't, I didn't know what I would do with it. So it was just convenience for it to be me uh, doing the acting and writing for myself. But also one thing, and this might be obvious to all the writers in the room, it wasn't obvious to me at first, everything I write is so very poorly hidden in terms of it being just me on the page, right? And so that was the other, I think, reason why I was like, I can't tell someone how to feel this thing, or I can't really direct this because I just lived it, right? So I'm just gonna act it the way, I, uh, the way I lived it. So for me, it was really just a matter of convenience and, and things like that. But um, yeah, no, it's horrifying to real, realize that when you write something, you're just revealing who you are to everyone else. Um, it's why I can't read Stephen King anymore. <laughs> Uh, for, for my show Side Questing, I am the entirety of the crew, except sometimes I don't write. Um, and we record asynchronously, so we don't have a table read most of the time. And so playing the main character and also the director and dialogue editor means that if an actor gives me an unexpected take, I can re-record on my end to have a cohesive dialogue by just walking into my closet and not having to message an actor and wait a week. Um, and it, it really helps production, just being able to record a thing real quick. The big downside for me is as the dialogue editor and sound designer, I have to listen to my own voice so much and I get really sick of it. <laughs> uh, all of you uh, really use your ensemble casts to fill out the setting of your stories. Uh, can you talk a little bit about characters as world building? have your characters talk about the world around them. So in Human Error, they, we have multiple deaf and hard of hearing characters, and that is a strength. So in one episode, they start talking about these, these creatures called banshees. If you hear them, they knock you out. Um, and so one, I have my notes, I'm gonna look at my notes. <laughs> um, Jace is talking about how she has a high resistance because of her hearing loss. And someone else in the room chimes in, oh yeah, I have that too. And someone else is like, same here. So now we know these three characters have hearing loss and we know that that is a strength against these monsters. Yeah. Speaking of monsters, <laughs> I <loves> love monsters. <laughs> I think they're the most fun that you can have in audio drama. That's not true. There's so many things that are the most fun you can have in audio drama. My personal favorite is making monsters because none of you can see what they look like, but my characters can. And so being able to describe things that are indescribable, unbelievable, experiences that we as human beings living in this version of reality are never going to be able to experience, but we get to, to live through those kinds of moments through the eyes of other people. Um, so having characters who you know, are being able to see what it looks like when you're at the bottom of the ocean, when you're standing on a foreign planet, when you've got this horrifying dinosaur staring you in the face and you're like, hmm, don't like that, but I'm going to just do a real quick monologue about it so everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, 
it's, it's a lot of fun, and you also get to expand not only your own imagination as you're creating these creatures, but also the imaginations of everyone who's gonna listen to the show, because every single person can hear the exact same description, and you can come up with your own version of what exactly that looks like, and how that fits into your world. And suddenly, the story has ch changed and shifted and become something new. Well, I think a lot of times for my shows, because they are so short, it's more about location building than world building, um, if that makes sense, where, you know, if a person is their best friend and they always hang out with their best friend at a certain location, I can kind of indicate where they are by just that person being in the scene. Because 90% of every episode that I put out has one main character who's delivering 90% of the lines for that episode. So if somebody comes into the episode at some point and you know that they're associated with home or school or some location, then you can position your brain to that location with that character and, and with that, um, the rest of that scene. So for me, a lot of times, it's, um, it allows me to jump from location to location in such short episodes. Do I have to answer every question? <laughs> Absolutely not. I was just going to say, people are part of the world. So when you're building the characters, you're kind of building the world a little bit. And that's what I like to do. Also, your sound design can have a big impact. What sound effects you're using? What do you make the monsters sound like? There is nothing scarier than your own imagination. <laughs> Play that. Silence is also your friend. Sometimes not hearing the monster is a lot worse. Uh, Jordan, Anthony, and Tal, the three of you make shows where one or two main characters are supported by an ensemble. Do your main characters develop the ensemble, or is it the other way around? For me, it's 100% the main characters determine who the ensemble is. Um, I start a show with a character and a plot like, I have the idea, and I know who the main character is, and I never know any of the other supporting characters. Um, in fact, I sat in on a, on a panel, like, or I sat in the audience watching a talk like this once where Faith McQuinn actually was talking about antagonists and protagonists and, um, you know, the main relationship character and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, that sounds great, right? Like, I'd written, like, 10 scripts by then. Like, you know, I did, and so I'm constantly learning how to do that better, but I always start with a main character and a plot, and then I say, what does, who, who does this character need to drive the plot forward? And then if they only need one person, then there's only one person. Uh, it, it really is determined by the main character for me. I do it the other way. <laughs> <laughs> in side questing, the main character is more or less a placeholder for the audience to experience the world. They're, you know, they're kind, they're optimistic, they're curious, and they're an adventurer. And through them, we meet new people in every episode. So every episode really tends to focus on the people that we meet, and that drives the story forward. We're both valid, though. <laughs> Uh, yes, and now I'm the tiebreaker, apparently. Um, 
I am going to bolt and run and not answer the question. No. Um, Cast judgment, Jordan. <laughs> so I actually uh, do tend to fall more along the sides of uh, what, what Tal does. I actually don't tend to know who the main character is without my ensemble. Um, the way that I come up with my stories is that I'll come up with a really cool concept for a story. And then I am like, okay, well, who would exist in this world? Who would help me to tell this story? The main character, usually played by me, um, is more like a, a camera lens for the rest of the audience to understand how we're moving through this particular world. I don't really start to find out who the main character is fully as a person until she starts interacting with the people around her. Um, so I, I didn't really know that Chell was going to be this bright-eyed optimist seeking the stars until I knew that Peter was going to be the person who was helping to keep her grounded and focused and be like, hey, hang on, maybe let's not do the bad, stupid thing. <laughs> um, I didn't know that Maria was this character who was going to be more like skeptical and uh, full of cynicism and but secretly still yearning to have these adventures until she was surrounded by all of these incredible people who kept pushing her to, to not only discover the world around her, but also to find beauty and joy and meaning within that world that she had kind of started to cut herself off from. Um, so it's, you're always going to discover more about every single character once you drop them into the scenario. Um, but that is, you know, that's always most of the fun for me, is figuring out who are these people and who are they in concert with others. And anecdotally, this is kind of like a, um, it lets you know that format will also determine how you approach your ensemble, right? Like short form determines how I approach it, long form allows a little more uh, depth, right? Maybe that micro fiction doesn't provide. I'll take that and go to Lovidence, sure. <laughs> uh, a question for you, Anthony. You started out with single narrator shows um, before building Magic Kingdom into an ensemble show and then building a rather impressive ensemble for uh, Great and Terrible. What, what are the benefits of that and what, are the, what do you wish you knew before you started? <laughs> well, I think the benefits are when you're your only actor, you're your only cast, um, you know all the things that you are gonna look for and that is also your detriment, right? Because you start to condition what you think a cast member might need based on what you needed. Uh, and obviously you are not everyone. That's a, a good lesson to learn probably. And so I think that was the thing I, I wish I knew first was that all of my experiences and all of my comforts and all of my preferences with recording and being a cast member are not going to be the preferences and um, ideal situation for others. Uh, I remember when I first started with Magic Kingdom, I worked with Lisa Alvarez, who's one of the best uh, people you could work with, and they were like, well, so are we going to do table reads and all this? Other? I was like, what are those? Um, uh, and so we didn't, and I, now I'm always like, could it have been better, right? Like, should I have, should I have leaned into a, a different uh, methodology or, or a way of doing it? Because I was uncomfortable with it, right? Like, should I approach things I'm uncomfortable with in that instance? So 
that was what I wish I knew, was that I, I wish I knew I should have leaned into other ideas more rather than stay in what I thought was easiest or most comfortable for me. All right, a very important question for Tal. Uh, a lot of audio drama is anthology. Uh, you're the only one of us who has worked with uh, an anthology cast on the production side. Uh, what do you wish you knew before you started an anthology show with a different cast every single episode? You have to cast so many people. <laughs> the second season of Someone Dies in This Elevator has a 65-person casting crew for 11 episodes. And you would think, like, oh, it's, you know, this... 11 episodes, they're not that long, but you have to do extra work every time you cast and onboard a voice actor. So just by virtue of having different people in different episodes, you're still doing a lot more work of just communication. Um, but I really like casting, so it's kind of fun for me, and I really like working with different people. Um, so it's something that I really thrive in, but yeah, there's a lot more on the back end of just like, collecting PayPal emails and Twitter bios and stuff. Um, but it's, it's so fun because every episode you get a new like, group of voices to play off of each other, and it's just really satisfying. But so much work. <laughs> OK, an important question, I think, for anyone who's interested in making uh, an ensemble cast uh, in an audio drama, where do you find all these actors? Help. Help. <laughs> Their voice actor Twitter, they all know each other, they will tell each other, there are so many of them. When I casted Human Error, suddenly, and we had everyone joining the Discord, everyone started yelling each other's name because they all knew each other and I had no idea who any of them were. Yeah, uh, Twitter is a great place to find voice actors. Um, if you want, you can also use websites uh, such as Playbill.com. Uh, there are always professional actors looking for work on Playbill. Um, and also Backstage is another uh, place to find uh, people who are, you know, professional actors who constantly want to, you know, boost their resume, try new things. Twitter, I would say, is probably a better place to find people who are newer in the space. So you're gonna get a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of people who really just want to see your project succeed more than anything. So don't knock you know, people just because they don't have experience yet. That's, it's really important to you know, stay inclusive with everybody in the space. Speaking of Twitter, I help run a Twitter called Audio Auditions, and if you tag that account in your casting call, I will retweet it to about 3,000 voice actors. Would you, would you say that Twitter handle again, just so everyone can get out a pen? Audio Auditions. <laughs> Thank you, Tal. You're welcome. How is that handle still available? <laughs> it's not, it's, it's mine. Touche. Well, it's Sarah Golding's, but also mine, too. Um, so I think what's tricky for me a lot of the times is because I only have like a limited number of roles and they are very archety archetypal, arch, I can't say that word, you know what I'm saying. Um, I normally ask friends who are voice actors 
I say, who do you think would be great for this role? Who do you think hasn't had enough opportunity to show how good they are? And then I cast them. Um, or sometimes what I'll do is I'll listen to a show and I'll say, wow, this supporting cast member is like amazing. Maybe they want to like star in a show and do every line. <laughs> you know, like that's um, that's how I found Leslie for for Great and Terrible. Oh, yes. I was just like, Leslie's great. Why isn't Leslie starring in a show? Oh wait, Leslie stars in my show now, right? Like that was just, <laughs> that's just how it happened. Um, so yeah, I would reach out to the people that you think does you, who think have earned more opportunities um, in, in their shows, but also like ask your friends, who do you think is good? Who do you think, um, you know, who do you think would be a great bully in this show? Or who do you think would be a great, you know, antagonist or whomever? I want to jump in really quick. I know a bunch of you are showrunners. This is a really good reason to link your voice actors' websites on your own website, because I also find casts for my shows from listening to audio drama. And the worst thing is when I have a single name in the show notes of an episode to go off of. I love it when I go to a show website and I go to their cast tab and I find the person and there's like their website. And then that's got an email and I'm like, hell yeah. So like. Promote your voice actors. It makes our job easier, too, as casting directors. And it's one of the things you can ask for in the beginning, right? You can, when you cast them, you can say, can I have all this information because I want to put you on the website. I will chase actors down for the information I have multiple times. Also, make a website for your show, please. Make a please. website. Yeah. I don't have anything to add, but everybody is staring at me. <laughs> How does it feel? Um, Showrunners do talk, so definitely, if you have a, a voice actor that you want to cast, just reach out to whoever wrote the show, directed the show, anything like that. We are almost always so willing to share you know, the other people that we're working with. This also goes for sound designers, it goes for composers, it goes for the people who are writing the show, directing the show. Audio drama is intensely inclusive, and one of the things that's most important to know is that we are not in competition with one another. And most of the people who are creating these shows will not treat you as competition, they will treat you as colleagues. Use your resources. We are all here to help you. I have a long list on my phone of voice actors I've enjoyed working with and also a list of actors I want to work with. So when I'm casting projects, I'll reach out to people. Like I reached out to Anthony. I was like, hey, come audition for my show. And then I casted them. Do you have a third list of actors? I have a list of actors I won't work with, but. <laughs> Well, uh, great news, everybody. We have plenty of time for questions. Uh, we don't have a mic for the audience, so uh, I'll call on you and repeat your question for the recording so everyone can hear it. Um, please keep in mind that if you start off your talking by saying, this is really more of a statement, I'm going to scream and scream and scream and scream and scream. Uh, so don't do that. Questions only, please. Let's hear some hands. Yes. Uh, let's do you. Is that Anne? Yes. Hi, Anne. How are you? Oh, good. That's right. This is, this is not a statement. This is Good. Um, it sounds like you're all paying your actors. Can you talk about budgeting for that, especially when your ensembles are, are large? Because I just did my first season. Who's running the show? <laughs> and, um, and I paid my actors. And that was one of the biggest expenses. So can you just talk about that? 
Yeah. Anne's question is, uh, can we please talk about budgeting to pay your actors? Because that was uh, Anne's biggest expense in, in making the show. <laughs> Do it. Um, <laughs> it is, I think the hardest part of a producer is fundraising for your audio drama so that you can pay the people working on your audio drama a fair wage. Um, I usually run crowdfunding campaigns for new seasons of my shows, and it's a month of very intensive work, but at the end I can pay everyone a little bit. Um, I run a Patreon for one of my shows, and that covers just voice actor stipends. Um, but I feel like when it comes to budgeting, you have to look at how much money do I have in my budget, and then how do I best allocate that fairly. I see a lot of crowdfunding campaigns that, that if you look at their pie chart, voice actors are getting 80%, and the sound designer is getting 10. And like, I look at that as a sound designer and go, that's not very fair at all. Like, from any budget. So I think sort of the most important thing is looking overall, what do I have and how do I give that to everyone in a fair manner? And then of course getting that money I think is the hardest part. Um, and I wish there was a better solution, but there's no money here. In other words, we are ready to pitch anything to anyone anytime. <laughs> Audible, are you there? <laughs> also pay yourself, set that precedent. We're really bad about paying ourselves, and this is a conversation we've been having a lot in the audio drama community. As a producer, pay yourself. Even if it's just a little bit, you deserve to be paid too. There exists the WGA Audio Alliance, which is a union of writers for fiction podcasters. I'm on the organizing committee for it, and we have formed a indie fiction subcommittee, and as a whole, we're working for a more fairer and more equal allocation of funds to the entire cast of a show, and also within the industry, how to get people more money too. So if you look us up, you should join. Anyone can join. Let's make this industry better. <laughs> I'll also say uh, when it comes to uh, ensemble casts, scaling pay does help a lot. Um, there, because the, the Different actors are going to be putting in different amounts of time. Um, that's not to say that you know you're putting in more time, therefore you're uh, like it's going to be quote unquote better or anything like that. But scaling pay uh, between your leads, your secondary leads, your ensemble members uh, can be really helpful. And um, if you want to keep the budgets fair and the uh, overall number of people you have to cast a bit smaller, uh, but be able to pay them more, have your ensemble members play a bunch of different characters. They need to not be all in the same scenes. They need to be able to do different voices, or at least you know, be able to shift. Um, but that can help a lot, uh, because you can pay one person more money for doing a decent amount of work. I'm probably a, a outlier here because when you make a microfiction show, the cast can record the whole season in the amount of time it normally takes them to record one episode of a regular show. So it's, I mean, that was a struggle of mine. Jordan knows I had a lot of conversations uh, with her about how do I pay for a microfiction show when the actor is going to record the whole season in an hour and a half? Right? Like, I. I didn't want to be like, here's 10 bucks. Uh, you know, but like, if I did the math from what full length episodes were getting paid, 
uh, actors were getting paid, and I divided it in time, it was this like really paltry, almost insulting feeling number. And, we, and like I said, Jordan and I talked about this a lot, and Jordan helped me figure out uh, what the fair wage was. So uh, long story short, if you have a situation like that and you're having trouble figuring out what fair wage means, uh, talk to your friends, right? Like talk to other creators, talk to other actors and, and just kind of do the best you can. There's really no uh, universal uh, structure yet. Launching off of that a little bit, because I feel like I can sense this question coming. Um, is it okay to work with all volunteer casts? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. That's how I started, and don't knock on it. Some people have to start from somewhere. I started in high school. Um, I did not have a job. I did not know what I was doing. Um, and now I have an award-winning podcast that is a volunteer show. But while you're doing that, be aware that these people are giving their time to you for free. So if you can trade favors, do that. If you can send them stickers, do that. But also be really patient and generous and understanding with your time and their time because they have other jobs, they're paying, they have lives. So just communicate with each other uh, and yeah, be patient. <laughs> Yeah, time and energy are two of our most important and most undervalued resources. If someone is giving you their time or their energy, you need to respect that. Um, but it's absolutely fine to not pay people. Just make sure that you are very upfront about what the expectations are ahead of time so that you don't necessarily run into any snags where they're like, hey, I just recorded the whole season. When are you sending me a check? Uh, you, you never want to run into that situation. So just be upfront, be open, be honest, and then just be respectful of what, you know, what people are giving to help you to create this, this story. Let's hear another audience question. Uh, I'd like to hear from uh, Checkered Shirt right here. Yes, Brian, in fact. Um, so, Tal. Hi, Tal. Ideally, I'm the showrunner of an anthology series, and I do so much casting. Where's the question, Brian? <laughs> and I have access to a nice studio space, so I'm able to get like consistent sound and performances and like just the sound quality and stuff. When you're working with people who are remote, I, I presume that there's some- All of them. Is, it, is the sound quality kind of all over the place or do you have problems with that or oh, what? how do you yeah. Wait, that? let me repeat the question. Brian wants to know, uh, how do you deal with uh, sound inconsistencies when you're working with remote actors who all have very different mics and spaces? That's something to listen to when you're casting. Pay attention to what their quality of mic is gonna be. It's not gonna match across the board, and that's okay. Um, you can fix some of that in sound design, um, but also just like pay attention to that while you're casting. The amount of times I've had to make a conversation happen over the phone <laughs> when it wasn't supposed to happen over the phone um, because of auto quality, yeah, like you figure it out. It's... <laughs> As the often sound designer of my shows, I am very much auditioning a person's setup as much as I am auditioning a person. And if someone is a great actor but has a setup that I can't work with, I don't cast them because I know down the road, the person who's gonna have to deal with that is me when I do the sound design. 
Um, I found that as long as you have actors who, for lack of a better phrase, know what they're doing, they're recording without reverb, they have a decent mic, a Blue Yeti is a decent mic, um, I can make it work because in the scene, I'll add the same reverb on people or I'll mess with the frequencies so it sounds generally the same, but I always want to start from like a good baseline. So I just don't cast the people that send in auditions on laptop mics. And I try to save them time and I say in the casting call, like, your setup is important, I need this, this audio quality. So then I don't feel too bad about like discarding the auditions of people who very literally record with a laptop mic in their kitchen and send it to me. It's like, you didn't, you didn't read, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, just don't cast people with a, with a setup you can't work with. It will save you so many headaches. If somebody had a good audition. If somebody had a good audition and it was because of the sound quality, am I allowed to ask um, If somebody has a good audition but the sound quality is bad, do you email them back and say the only thing that prevented you from getting this role was the sound quality? Um, I don't because for like my anthology show, I have like over 200 people auditioning and usually at least 25 to 40 I'm throwing out because of audio quality and I don't have the time. I do wanna say that for my show, What Will Be Here, because I had five main characters in the entire show, I was able to not have a microphone restriction on the casting call because I was like, if someone's really good, I will send them a microphone because I'm recording 10 episodes with them. But for someone dies in this elevator, I'm recording one episode with them and I don't have that many microphones to send. So uh, it's, you, kinda, you kind of got to balance it a little bit. We have time for one more question, if it's a quick one. Great, way in the back there with your, you're holding up your phone. Yeah, you, or yeah, you, yes, you, yeah. Let, oh, let's talk. Hi. Okay, that's not a question. <laughs> it was quick. <laughs> yes, stick around. This is the first time someone has been in the audience when I was like, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> All right, quick question, go. Uh, you dark hair right in front of Audible. Yes. Uh, Yeah, the, uh, the uh, wants to know the, the uh, audio alliance, go. Go to Twitter, at WGA Audio. And that Twitter has a Discord that you should join, and also a website that has more info and a link to a mailing list that you can join. Alternatively, all of you should stop by booth seven. It's right outside this door. We have some flyers and people that can tell you more about the Audio Alliance, which I think is a really good organization effort. Also, oh, is my mic off? Also, just come and talk to us about audio fiction. We're very passionate about this. We've got games. Come on, stop by. All right, thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to our panelists. We appreciate it. Um, please stick around in this room because the next talk is Faith McQuinn, and I'm gonna be here, and you should too. So thank you all. for you.